This is an ABC podcast. So I was living in Auckland, which is where I grew up. It was about a week after my 23rd birthday. And I had just broken up with my girlfriend of four years. So I was hanging out at my friend's place, just trying to take my mind off this breakup I was going through. We were playing a Harry Potter video game that I was terrible at. And at one point, she pulls out this massive bag of weed. My friend had just moved into this place and she had found this bag of weed shoved at the back of the closet in her room. And she's like, this could be fun. I'm Elizabeth Coolass. Welcome to Days Like These. That night, Grand Panther is a young university tutor nursing a broken heart. Faced with that massive bag of weed, he wants to cut loose, forget about his troubles for one night. But that evening, Graham would find himself tumbling into a different dimension. And when he returns, things are not as they used to be. We were in her bedroom, which is this tiny little room, and I just remember it being filled with smoke. <laughs> like, like a lot of smoke. Too much smoke. And the first part was really fun. Like, uh, at one point, the next door neighbors started just cranking really loud music through an open window. And it was, I'm not kidding, it was Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. And we're looking at each other like, oh my God, they know. They know how high we are. (laughs) There was a lot of giggling. (laughs) We were convinced we could hear each other's thoughts. (laughs) And I remember like we were wrestling at one point. We were just like little kids playing on the floor. We were just staring at each other's eyes and imagining we could hear each other's thoughts. And then it started to unravel. There was a moment that time and space just fell apart. It was as if there was nothing but the present. There was no past, there was no future. You're too much there. You're too too present to really make sense of it all. So my friend, Sarah, she was talking to me and I could hear each individual word that she was saying, but I couldn't connect them together because to understand a sentence, you need time. You need time to hear the beginning, the middle and the end, right? But all I was getting were these little snapshots of of right now and everything else was just sort of falling off a cliff into darkness. And then the same thing started happening with my sense of space. It was kind of like claustrophobia times 10 because not only was the little room I was in the only room in the universe, even the corner of the room I was in was the only corner of a room in a universe. And that's when I freaked out. I can't stay in this place. This is terrifying. This this needs to stop. All of that sort of like, okay, I'm a bit too high, but... I went to sleep thinking, this is, this is going to be fine in the morning. 
So I wake up in this poky little bedroom on the single mattress on the floor. I remember the light coming in the window. The first thing I notice is what's happening with my vision. Everything's out of focus. Not only were things blurry, but it kind of looked like I was in the inside of a fishbowl. And I've always had 20-20 vision, so it was this really odd overnight change. It's like, imagine what things look like when you try and remember them. That's kind of how everything looked. It wasn't quite the same hectic, time and space dissolving feeling of the night before, but in the days and the weeks that followed, I didn't feel any better. My inner voice was gone. My eye, as in capital I, it felt like there was this hole where myself should be. But it felt very physical, like something had been physically removed from my being. I have this, you know, this really strong felt sense that I'm not real. It's not like a delusion. I'm not thinking I'm not real. I I, I can think perfectly straight. I know I'm real, the world around me is real, but it doesn't feel that way. I never thought you could lose your sense of being connected to the world. I never thought you could lose your sense of the world being real. These were things I didn't think you could lose. I appeared outwardly, you know, quite calm. That's something I'd learned from a young age. So you wouldn't have known anything was wrong. I kept going to work. I was working as a tutor at university. I kept hanging out with my friends. I kept going to band practice. But internally, I'm absolutely freaking out. And I have this quite unsettling thought that keeps coming back to me in these next few days and weeks, which is, am I actually still back there on Sarah's little single mattress on the floor, dreaming that the trip is over, but is actually still going? It was kind of a slow realization that Oh, I'm, I might have done something to my brain here beyond just having a bad trip. I'd searched on the internet for what might be happening and one thing I'd found that I was really holding on to was this idea that cannabis can only stay in the system for however many weeks. And so even though everything I'd read said the trip should have stopped, I was holding on to this idea that maybe it was the last kind of chemical vestiges of the, of the drug that was somehow keeping me in this strange, unreal state. And I kept telling myself, once that goes, if I can just flush those toxins out, I'll feel better again. There's always this kind of parallel thing happening where... I'm doing whatever it is I'm supposed to. I'm, I'm accomplishing whatever task. I'm having whatever conversation I'm supposed to have. And, and there's also this kind of background panic at how strange that person's face looks right now or how is that a flashback beginning? Can I quell that? You wake up and the first thing you think of in the morning is 
oh, am I still... Is it still happening? And you realize that it is. And it's... It's exhausting. (laughs) So I think it was two months or so after the initial drug trip, I decided to go and stay with my parents up in Hong Kong, where they live. And we go and see um, Christopher Nolan's The Prestige. It's this mind-bending film about two magicians dueling one another through teleportation. You know, typical Christopher Nolan film. It's quite trippy, quite weird. And you're never really sure what's real or not. And we're in the cinema, we're watching it. At the time, I'm enjoying the movie. And then as we leave, I notice there's something kind of ringing in my ears. There's that familiar by now feeling of a flashback coming on. We get on the ferry to go home. I'm sitting on this ferry that is extremely crowded and extremely brightly lit. I remember thinking it, it felt like the inside of a hospital ER. And I, I become really scared that the ferry we're on is going to arrive back at the very same dock it left from rather than taking us where we need to go. And I say this to my dad and he's like, you know, typical dad, no, well, that's okay. If if it takes us back there, we'll just get on another ferry. And I remember thinking, no, dad, you don't get it. It's It's not that I'm worried we'll be in the wrong place. It's that I'm worried that if that happens, my entire sense of how the world works is wrong. It's not the feeling that we're on the wrong ferry, it's that the right ferry is stuck in this loop and that I can't think my way out of it. Legs exactly like a Christopher Nolan film. The trip had happened again. The very thing I was most afraid of had happened again without even taking any drugs this time. And that was sort of the the real... um, piece of evidence suggesting maybe that wasn't just weed we smoked because you think of flashbacks as something associated with I don't know LSD I could tell this is outside the the regular channels of of sober human experience and yet they were you know strangely congruent with some of all the the most amazing states that you know modern meditation masters will describe to be in this unending present moment. But I always had that little voice saying, yeah, but why is this happening? So all this goes on for months. I go and see a raft of specialists. A neurologist? This older guy, he does a CT scan, he finds no anomalies. And he did not have any further answers for me beyond the CT scan. My psychologist refers me to a psychiatrist he works with, and he's this very well-dressed man. I remember his slicked-back hair, his expensive-looking furniture. He probably wrote me a script for for drugs. I, I, I would have left, I would have gone to the pharmacy, but it was a blur because I just remember feeling devastated. 
I told him the thing that I was most afraid of, which is I'm afraid that I have fried my brain with these drugs and that I'll never feel normal again. And I'll never forget what he said in response to that, which is, oh, I think you do have brain damage and it's probably irreversible. He was the man that I thought would, would you know, finally have at least some kind of answer for me. And the answer was, yeah, you're screwed. And it was so matter of fact, the way he said that. My brain was always like the thing that felt like my biggest asset. Like I was a good thinker. And then here I was kind of stuck in my brain, prone to terrifying feats of abstraction. It was like my biggest asset had turned on itself. And it was all my fault because I'd smoked that weed. As you can imagine, my comfort zone gets a lot smaller. Driving on the motorway starts to really freak me out. And then driving anywhere starts to really freak me out. And then going to the supermarket starts to become this uh, ordeal. I remember saying to my best friend, I, I don't know how to do this. If this is the rest of my life, I don't know how to do this. I really felt like I had ruined my life. This feeling that life has become unacceptable and that by extension, I've become unacceptable. There was one unexpected ray of hope at that point, and when I say hope, I mean we're talking. I'd take any kind of any kind of hope at this point. But I I saw one last um, expert, for lack of a better term, which was uh, a medium and energy healer. She told me that I was having a spiritual awakening, and that I was an indigo child here to save the planet. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you google indigo children you you will have yourself a time it is a, this sort of idea that was particularly big in sort of the end of the 20th century uh that there was kind of a new generation that was going to save us from our own uh, self-inflicted ills on the planet and on ourselves but there's one thing that she said that did stick with me and that was a, a total throwaway comment she said oh I had a similar experience like with weed when I was young. Knocked me for a loop for two years. It was such a matter of fact statement. But weirdly, <laughs> that gave me hope. It was the first time I'd heard anyone have any semblance of shared experience with what I was going through. So that was kind of amazing. My band was supposed to go on this national tour. We were going to drive to every city in New Zealand which is not that many cities but you know we were gonna do it but here's the funny thing I kept waiting for the night that I'd have a panic attack or a, or a flashback or a freak out on stage because you'd think that would be the most stressful place to be but 
that never happened. Every night, the stage was the place I felt most comfortable. And it didn't make sense. I was like, why, why of all the things, why can I do this thing? And I had this epiphany. It's not that I don't feel freaked out on stage. It's that you're supposed to feel freaked out on stage. It's just that we have a different name for it. We call it nervous energy. You get up, you feel freaked out, you do the scary thing anyway, and you feel awesome afterwards. So I needed to take that same expectation into all those other things in my life. So my first step, I got home, I knew what the starting point was and I knew it was controversial, which was, uh, for me, I needed to stop taking my psych drugs. I'd tried antidepressants, I'd tried anti-anxiety pills, I'd tried antipsychotics, I'd tried anti-convulsants, and none of it really helped. You know, and I don't begrudge anyone taking them. I, I've, there's a good reason we try these things, because we're anything that helps, we'll, we'll take. But I had this thought, I'm not just swallowing a pill when I take them. I'm actually swallowing a way of seeing myself, which is as someone who shouldn't be feeling the way I'm feeling. And so the first day of no pills, I knew the, the place that I needed to go was the dreaded supermarket. I'm feeling clammy. I'm feeling dazzled by the bright lights of the supermarket. I'm convinced I'm going to have another flashback freak out. And I'm definitely thinking, who thought this was a good idea? But I manage it and I get home and I put my shopping bags down and I thought, I'm onto something. I had a choice. I could either do less each day and my world would get smaller or I could do more each day and my world would get bigger. There was no in between. So it was things like shopping. It was things like um, driving on the motorway without taking a pill first. It was, you know, a range of things. And I had this plan, which was, I thought to myself, what's the scariest thing a pilot's son can think of doing? And that was jumping out of an airplane. <laughs> This is about nine months after that supermarket shot. Sitting in this little tiny plane, just absolutely losing it with fear. So I'm strapped in, it's a tandem jump, so all I have to do is, you know, let it happen. And we jump out of the plane, and there's that kind of first rush of... I don't know, falling and flying at the same time. And then before you know it, the parachute opens. And we're drifting slowly to the ground. And from the moment my feet touched the ground, I just felt calm. Probably for the first time in, you know, the 
by now a year and a half since that drug trip. It's kind of the only time um, I can remember from that whole period where the outward calm that I would always display actually matched the, the inward feeling in my body. So for the longest time, I felt like a pretty calm person. I got married, I settled down to some degree, me and my, my partner moved to Australia together, you know, pretty good things happening with my career. It was all feeling like uh, whatever door I'd opened at 23 had now been closed. And then life got complicated again. I went through a divorce and at the same time had a, an injury that turned into a chronic pain condition. And those two things together just really threw me for a loop. And my mid-30s became, for different reasons, every bit as challenging as those early 20s. Just before the pandemic hit, so beginning of 2020, I was meditating, something I do daily. I wasn't doing anything too unusual and started to feel really, really good. <laughs> like really good. And then started to worry that I was feeling too good. And suddenly I was back in that place. Oh, oh, I see. oh, we're going to that place again. That endless present, that time and space falling apart. And it was terrifying. Always feels like this is the one that'll last forever. At this very moment, my girlfriend Anna happens to be having a, a friend round for tea. But I think to myself, uh, I need to be around people. So I go downstairs and I sit with them and I chat for a while. And it's that thing again from way back in that first drug trip where they're speaking to me and I can hear the words but I have to like physically knit together the beginnings, the middles and the ends of their sentences so that I can retrospectively make sense of what's just been said to me and all of this is sort of happening in slow motion because time has completely slowed to a stop for me so I decide to go back upstairs I can't be alone, I can't be with people, I'm freaking out. But this time, I have someone I can call. And it's a colleague of mine, we both have some similar, like, pretty fruity brain stuff in our backgrounds. And we have this hour-long rambling chat about what's going on, about what I'm afraid of. He's the counterweight to that voice saying you shouldn't feel this way. He says, listen, mate, you've got range. People like us, we've got range. The simplicity of it just felt right. And the beauty of it was it's not really an explanation. You don't need explanations. You need understanding. And they're not quite the same thing. Whatever this is, whatever you want to name it, and I still don't have a name. And he, uh, you know, the best I've got is I've got range. 
I'll never be the way I was before that drug trip. The same things can happen and they are still very strange and they are still scary. But the despair of that possibility is gone. There are, you know, some things we just we just will always carry. And I think acceptance is is the process in which we become the person who can handle the thing that we couldn't have handled when 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 it first happened. But the thing that kind of made it all possible, I think, was the encouragement of of those fellow travelers I met. And so that's become my life. So I made a mental health initiative of my own called the Big Feels Club, which is sort of mostly online, kind of global grassroots initiative. I ended up writing about it for the Big Feels Club. And I just put this little button at the bottom saying, do you have range too? Tell me about it. And I got the biggest response I've gotten to any newsletter we've put out. And it was just all these people, all these Big Feels Clubbers saying, here's my weird thing that happens sometimes. And all of it just felt like, I wish that 23-year-old me could have read this. You can follow Graham Panther and his work with the Big Feels Club at www.bigfeels.club. This story details one person's experience regarding choices and medication. If it raised anything for you, please seek support or advice from a medical professional. And remember, Lifeline is available any time of the night or day on 13 11 14. Thanks for listening to Days Like These. If you have a story, please share it with us. You can send a voice memo or an email. Our address is dayslikethese at abc.net.au. And if you haven't already, follow Days Like These on the ABC Listen app or wherever you listen so that you never miss an episode. And while you're there, if it's available to you, please leave us a rating and a review. We love to hear what you think and it helps more people find the stories that we're telling. Days Like These is hosted by me, Elizabeth Kulas, and I reported today's episode, which was made on the lands of the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Gadigal peoples. Sound designed by me and John Jacobs. The supervising producer was Sophie Townsend. Thank you, Sophie. And our brilliant executive producers are Ian Walker and Tom Wright. Our theme song is Yeah Nah by the Gooch Palms, courtesy of Ratbag Records and BMG. See you next time.
on the next episode of Days Like These, Megan's at uni when she meets Leon. And what starts as a holiday romance becomes a long-distance thing, and then a long-term thing. And then it's not a thing. But every now and then, there'd be a reminder. So it just came up as an unknown number. So he's lucky I answered it in the first place. And he said, come down and see me in Hobart. Megan said, hmm, I'm going to think about that. I'll call you back and hang up the phone. That's next week on Days Like These, when we bring you a good old-fashioned love story. And while you're waiting for that, why not check out another great ABC podcast, like this one. Hi, I'm Nazim Hussain. I'm a comedian, so naturally, I'm really good with money. (laughs) I'm also the new host of The Pineapple Project, a new series of the podcast all about making life sweeter. This season, we're on a mission to make you rich. Well, richer. We're not going to tell you how to play the share market or start a multi-level marketing scheme selling you, I don't know, Nazim Hussain action figurines. (laughs) Although if you do want one, there's only 499 left. So get in quick. I bought the first one. This is a podcast about saying no to all the stuff the world convinces us we need to buy to be happy and helping you save a ton on things like phones, cars, eating out and clothes. So join me for Frugal by The Pineapple Project. Get richer now and get it on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.